Thanks for listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live via WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces, where we take a deeper look at the issues and people shaping our community and our country. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. My beloved co-host Jeff Simmons is out today, but I promise he will be back with us very soon. In the meantime, it is great to have you here as always, and I hope you had a safe, peaceful, and pleasant July 4th holiday. We're now right into July, really into summer, and we have seen some truly scorching days, including today. And that makes a dip in one of the city's many, many pools sound really tempting. But there is a problem. New York is short on lifeguards. So coming into this summer around Memorial Day, the Parks Commissioner announced that there were only about 500 lifeguards ready to keep an eye out for swimmers. That was down dramatically from the eight to 900 who were working last summer. And the number fell far, far short of the 1,400 guards the Parks Department said it would like to have. The shortage isn't just affecting the city either. In New York State, just this week, Governor Kathy Hochul signed legislation that addresses age requirements for lifeguards at children's camps. The rules mandate that lifeguards at these programs have to be at least 17 years old, but as many as half of the lifeguards on duty can now be as young as 15 if they are under the supervision of an aquatics director. Before the legislation, lifeguards had to be at least 16 years old to work at these kinds of summer programs. In some cases, though, some state sites won't have any lifeguards at all. Earlier this summer, the State Department of Environmental Conservation announced swimming would be unsupervised at the beaches it oversees. And again, this really is a national issue. As the summer kicked off, the American Lifeguard Association forecasted about half of the country's 309,000 public swimming spots would have to close or cut their hours, at least, because of the crisis. And the city's inter, excuse me, intermediate-sized and Olympic-sized pools are scheduled to be open through Sunday, September 10th. So we do have a ways to go in terms of keeping swimmers safe this summer. But as we see record-breaking temperatures in New York, we're also seeing another season of struggle with maintaining water safety around our city. So why is this happening? Do people just not want to be lifeguards anymore? Or is it the pay? Is it the availability of training? Is it the danger? Why is New York and why is the nation so short on lifeguards? Now, we're going to be talking much more about the lifeguard crisis and summer safety this hour. And I know you're going to want to weigh in a little bit later on. So hang tight for that. But first, I just want to take a moment to remind you that WBAI can only bring you this kind of critical public policy programming with your help. Please take a moment today. Go to WBAI.org. Open your heart, open your wallet, do your part to support this station through the BAI Buddies program. Please remember that because WBAI is listener-supported, non-commercial, free speech radio, this station does not exist unless you step up. If you're listening to this program, you care about New York having a free speech radio station. You care about not letting corporate voices be the only voices on our airwaves. You care about your community. So if you enjoy WBAI's programs on politics, public policy, news, culture, arts, and music, help us stay on the air. Become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces today. Go to WBAI.org and sign up. 
It's easy. It only takes a minute. When you become a BAI buddy, you make a recurring monthly donation in any amount you choose. Give $20 a month, $50 a month, more if you can, whatever is comfortable for you. So WBAI does need you to take a stand for independent media in New York. We have lots of great thank you gifts for you to choose from. Just go to WBAI.org and click the green button. You can give $15 a month, $25, $50, $100. It is up to you. But every dollar you give in the name of this program, Driving Forces, helps us keep going. That is WBAI.org. Please don't wait. We need everyone to step up. Thank you so much for your support. We really do need your help. We're going to be moving on uh, very shortly to uh, the first of our two guests today, and I'm very excited to speak to her because she's done some really, really interesting for uh, a news outlet that we really like here at WBAI. It's called The City. And it is a nonprofit newsroom, and they do a lot of really in-depth reporting, the kind of stuff that, you know, as, as local media struggles to survive, to get funding, to keep funding, to expand, and keep up its beat reporting, beat coverage, which was certainly my specialty when I was a reporter at the New York Daily News and um, other outlets that I've worked at. Uh, you know, this is uh, something that's really, really important. And the local news crisis is something, of course, that we can get um, a whole separate program about, but today we are going to be talking about the lifeguard shortage. Now, again, you know, I think traditionally, at least in uh, in some parts of the country and maybe right here in New York, you know, being a lifeguard was one of those things that might have been part of the whole summer ritual, it was sort of a rite of passage. And you see a lot of it in our popular culture. You see uh, movies and TV shows, even songs that are sort of very focused on uh, the, the culture of lifeguarding, spending time at the pool or the beach and New York, of course, always has these uh, very, very uh, almost pastoral, but uh, very familiar scenes of uh, kids at the pool. And it really is sort of part of the culture of New York. And so we are going to be talking about that today. What is happening and what is going to happen if New York does not turn around this lifeguard crisis, which has been affecting the city, not just now, but uh for some time, uh, some time in the past, and maybe will be some time in the future. In any event, we are going to go right to our first guest. Katie Honan is a reporter for The City. Previously, she covered City Hall for The Wall Street Journal and wrote about neighborhoods in Queens for DNA Info. She also worked as a social media editor at NBC4 New York. She is a Queens native and has degrees from St. John's University and the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY. Without further ado, Katie Honan, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. And I just wanted to start out, take a moment, tell our listeners here at WBAI, how did you come to be the city's uh, apparently <laughs> resident expert on the lifeguarding crisis? Um, I, that, that is a title. I don't know if I, uh, well, yeah, sure. I appreciate the title. But yeah, I, for me, I grew up out by the beach. I grew up out in Rockaway. And I think growing up um, by the beach, you just, I mean, I'm not a strong swimmer at all. So I was never a lifeguard. But you know so many lifeguards, and um, you learn about what is the good culture of lifeguarding, you know, getting a job at 16, working the beach, making great friends, um, getting a great tan, all that kind of stuff. But then you also learn the, the bad stuff that's been documented by me and, and big piece of New York Magazine that's now going to be a Netflix show, um, the issues with the lifeguard union and um, 
the problems and the things that they create, even for their own members. You know, the, the thing is about the lifeguard union, when you read about it, is the problems they create um, are for their own members, which is a bizarre thing to hear of a union doing. But, yeah, so that's probably how I got into it. And, um, you know, especially coming out of COVID, there were some – obviously, COVID disrupted a lot of things in the city, but particularly this pipeline of lifeguards, um, which is one of the reasons why – there has been a shortage, you know, amidst a national shortage. So before we get to the union issues, and I definitely want to talk about that. And interestingly enough, the executive director of uh, DC 37 is going to be our next guest. Um, but first of all, maybe just broadly outline, why are we experiencing this shortage of lifeguards? As you said, it's, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, everybody knew a lifeguard or was a lifeguard or swam under the eye of a lifeguard. And is it just that people don't want to do it anymore? Is it the money? Is it what's going on there? It is a combination of that, um, of a few things. Um, I think you, you, there was a stoppage of sort of a, a pipeline of that maybe during COVID because you didn't have as many, you didn't have the same access to pools. I think, you know, it was a money issue. I know the city and, and DC 37, they negotiated last year to do a temporary pay increase. And this year, the, the lifeguards have gotten a raise. Um, I think some people have speculated that, yeah, some kids just, they're not learning how to swim younger, so then they don't become lifeguards. Or they're thinking, look, I mean, it could be a really taxing job. You're out in the sun all day long, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., usually working a six-day work week, Um which is also sort of because of the shortage. But, you know, some people would rather work doing a retail job or working at a restaurant where you have the option to make more money in tips or something like that. Uh, you know, COVID, as has been reported by a lot of people, has really disrupted a lot of work patterns and habits. Um, and, and, you know, obviously the lifeguard shortage is a national issue, um, but I think that seems to be one of the problems. And, and retaining guards as well, people coming back year after year as you want them to seasonally, that's also been an, an issue to some degree. Now, it's interesting that you mention, Katie Honan, about some of the issues with the union. I think that one of the things, and maybe we can go through a couple of them uh, in a little bit more detail, I think one of the things that I had read, I believe, in some of your reporting was that um, one of the issues was these restrictions on who can be a lifeguard and what certification, uh, at least in New York, is acceptable. Because there are lots of places that provide lifeguard training, right? The YMCA, the Red Cross, but you can't just get your lifeguard training anywhere if you want to work in New York City. Is that right? Yeah. Um, and the, the lifeguard school is known, you know, where it is within the Parks Department. It is pretty much operated by union leadership. You know, I, I, it's sort of like as if the police academy was run by the PBA. Um, the New York City, to be a New York City Beecher lifeguard, um, a lifeguard of the beach or the pool, it is one of the longest and um, hardest processes of any, you know, to be a lifeguard on Jones Beach, it's a little bit easier. To be a lifeguard at Reese Park, which is operated by federal lifeguards, it's a little bit easier. But in New York City, it's incredibly difficult. Um, it's a multi-hour course that can take weeks. You have to recertify every year do CPR every year. And, and through my reporting, what I, you know, heard from lifeguards is everything is controlled by union leadership who work within lifeguard school. And they, you know, if, if there was a department investigation um, probe into the Parks Department's lifeguard division that was released in late 2021 that found a lot of issues and, and deficiencies within this lifeguard school and within this unit. And what's happening and what you see with a lot of lifeguards is, um, they can't work the beach or the pool until they get through CPR. 
They call LifeGuard School to make appointments for CPR, and for weeks they're not able to make an appointment, you know, and whether it's retaliation for them speaking out about issues or, or anything like that, that's a common problem that I've heard from LifeGuard. It'll take them weeks to, that is the final step for them, you know, uh, to, to get to that. The other issue that I've reported on was if you take your final test, you have to pass a certain number of swim yards in a certain amount of time. People are not being told their time. So for years, you know, for most of my life, you would have hear about these tests. And if you went at a certain day, you could pass. And but you never knew your time, which also is a lack of transparency. Why can't you just tell someone, all right, you did that in six minutes and 23 seconds. You need to shave off a few seconds. Or you did it in you know, six minutes and 14 seconds. Great job. You got it. That is something that isn't shared. And um, these are just all criticisms, again, from the lifeguards themselves, the actual union members. The other issue with the lifeguard union is, they keep a lot of control within the year-round lifeguards. Um, they only do union votes and, and, and meetings in the winter. So if you're a summer lifeguard, you can't really go to those meetings in February and March. Um, this year, the Parks Department, for the first time, um, listed these year-round jobs and notified all seasonal lifeguards to say, hey, we have year-round lifeguard jobs opening up at a pool in Flushing, Queens. Here's your opportunity to apply for it. Which, as silly as that sounds, you know, in city jobs, there's usually such a protocol for hiring, but for whatever reason, this was being kind of controlled and built out by the union. And this is, you know, from what multiple, um, both lifeguards and members of the parks department, you know, employees of the parks department have told me. Um, so that, that is one of the things that the parks department is trying to actually improve. This is Driving Forces on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We're talking about New York's lifeguard crisis with Katie Honan, a reporter for the nonprofit newsroom, The City. And Katie, I just want to go back for one second to what you were talking about with the times um, for the testing, because that seems really, really opaque. And is the idea there that they either tell you you passed or failed, but you have no way to know if that's actually accurate, if you actually uh, sort of made the cut. Is it arbitrary? What's the purpose of that? That is a speculation. You know, people, if, if you're not told your time, you don't know what you could do to improve. They had changed that for the qualifying test. That was the, you know, there, there's just rounds of tests, obviously. The, the, the qualifying test, people were given a card and told where their time is. And the Parks Department was providing supplemental training. And if you were trying to become a lifeguard, you can access any pool in the city, you know, any uh, Parks Department pool in the city to do more training, skills training, you know, work on your stroke or work on your speed. Um, but unfortunately, this final swim test, as it's kind of just called simply by most lifeguards, they're not told their time. Um, and what people have said was that longtime lifeguards um, were being failed or, you know, if you swim faster, you get put on the beach than, than on the pool. Some like some longtime lifeguards who spent years on the beach and obviously recognizing that a beach lifeguard would need different skills than a pool lifeguard. They were being placed on the pool. Um, you know, Department of Investigation report found just a lot of these issues, um, disciplinary issues, uh, harassment issues. This is sort of what was found um, in that report. And, you know, from what I think there have been some changes made, but from what I continue to hear from lifeguards themselves, union members themselves, there's, there hasn't been that major overhaul of, of necessary change to hopefully improve things. So what do you think, and, and this may be uh, including issues regarding the union or regarding recruitment, but this may be more broadly, what do you think it's going to take to address this lifeguard shortage? Because it seems to be a sort of a chronic thing, really. And uh, you would hope that people would figure out by now, you know, what can we do other than cut hours or tell people to swim at their own risk? Yeah, 
Yeah, and that is a concern. Um, you know, it is very rare, right, for there to be drownings when lifeguards are on duty. Unfortunately, in New York City, you have a lot of drownings. There was a recent drowning this, this past weekend of a 14-year-old boy in on Rockaway Beach. The beaches have been closed. They've closed the water for swimming because of storms. So that's the concern. But I think it all comes down to protection. We don't want anyone to drown, ever. We don't want anyone to feel unsafe when they're swimming in an ocean or a pool. And I think to address this issue, and obviously when you have a shortage, you're coordinating off pools to only allow half of them open. You're not fully opening all the beaches in um, four of the five boroughs that have beaches. But to address this issue, I I think there's the sort of the, the short term, which is, you know, getting raises for people, trying to maybe fix some of the issues in, in the training that doesn't actually uh, water down, no pun intended, the skills of the lifeguards. And then it's obviously the long-term issues. Um, and that is sort of it's sort of an investment into the future. And actually in the city's budget, they just gave more than $5 million to provide more swim training that will ideally teach 6,000 kids in New York City how to swim using Department of Education and CUNY pools. So this is sort of like maybe these are kids who five years down the line will be lifeguards. You can be a lifeguard at 16. Um, but, yeah, it is there are the short-term solutions and the longer-term solutions. But I, I don't, you know, I think my reporting and the reporting and other people, and this has been reporting that's been going on for decades, about just what happens in the Department of Parks and Recreation's lifeguard division, um, you know, who is not cooperating. And, and this sort of what DOI's report found which was the culture of the lifeguard division, this is a quote, reveals systemic dysfunction in its management and in accountability. And how do you move on and how do you actually keep things flowing when that's the, the root problem? So with with all your reporting, Katie Honan, and other people who have been covering this, as you say, for many years or even decades, do you think that the Adams administration or do you think that uh, the state or other authorities are aware of the problem? And do you see them doing anything about it or are they sort of pushing it aside as, well, this is a labor issue and and these things are already sort of ensconced in law and regulation? Where where do you see um, the authorities stepping in to fix this problem or not? Unfortunately, and, and being quite honest, I don't know what has been done, especially looking at the Adams administration. Um, obviously, they've been given a raise, right? That's part of uh, their Office of Labor Relations and, and negotiating that with the union. Um, but last year, the mayor told me, yeah, I want to improve. The, the other issue is, is what I hear from lifeguards is, you know, in the year 2023, if you're a lifeguard sitting on your chair and you're trying to get a message across to another lifeguard at another chair, you are using whistles and hand signals. Regular lifeguards do not get radios. They do not have access to ATVs or, or the other kind of four-wheel drive that you see parks department, parks enforcement police use. So even this a few days ago when there was a 14-year-old boy who drowned, lifeguards who were not on, you know, they were, they were off the beach, but they were around, they got in their personal vehicles to drive, to get off the beach, drive down, and try to assist in the rescue. And at that point, what well, was the recovery? Why can't people have, why can't they have access? The other issue that I hear from lifeguards is there's no cross-training with the fire department and the police department or other agencies that respond to drowning. Mayor Adams told me last year when I asked him at a press conference that they would look at that, they would try to improve training, and try to get better equipment. But that's not the case. So think that in 2023, lifeguards are still using the same thing they used in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s to get messages across, to let people know if there's a missing kid, if there's a rescue. You know, that, to me, in a city, especially with the mayor, who prides himself so much on his technological advances, that that is still the case. Um, so I don't know when that could change or how it could change, but I think this is a modern city and you need to have modern solutions to, to, to these problems. 
And going back to something that you were saying a little bit earlier, certainly you don't want people to drown. But from what I've been reading, actually, this might be something even more uh, when it comes to an equity issue that certain kids, that kids, for example, uh, who are... Um, uh, you know, children of color are much more at risk of drowning or in being in danger of drowning than other kids. You know, this is sort of, um, th- there's a sort of an ethnic or racial component here to the safety. You know, obviously nobody wants any kid to get hurt. But if you look at, at the demographics, the risk is yeah. much higher among certain, among certain groups. Yeah, unfortunately, it comes down to who can afford swim lessons as a, as a kid in sometimes private pools. Uh, you know, obviously the Parks Department offers learn to swim lessons, but not for every single kid in New York City. Um, I, if you looked into how much, you know, my eight-year-old nephew takes private swim lessons, it's certainly not cheap. But thankfully, you know, my sister and, and my family can afford that, but not every kid can. So that's unfortunately what happens. Um, kids who don't learn how to swim. And also keeping in mind that the ocean and, and different, the New York City beaches, you know, Orchard Beach's water is much different than the beach in Rockaway Beach. Coney Island's water is much different. You know, the worst is out in Rockaway where you have rip, rip currents. Um, what could look like a calm ocean actually isn't. And it's very, very easy and quick to drown. And in fact, the video that you watch in lifeguard school, which is from the 1970s, um, which I've watched as well, it, it shows you that. It's not like people are drowning any differently than they have over the last 100 years. Everyone drowns the same. It's the panic. It's the you start floundering, you start taking in water, and it's very, very fast. But unfortunately, if you don't have the skill set to recognize when you're in that bad situation um, and you're caught in a riptide or something awful, that's unfortunately what happens when you know young people drown or even some people if they're on the beach, adults, if they've been drinking all day and they drinking all day in the hot sun and you go in the ocean, it doesn't really... Uh, it's not a wise thing to do, especially in a beach like Rockaway, a beach that I know best just because that's where I grew up. But that ocean is the most treacherous treacherous in New York City. And unfortunately, that's where we see um, most of the drownings when they do happen. It's certainly a popular spot for surfers, as I recall, because the, the tides there and the wave action there is, is much more, quote unquote, exciting or challenging, whatever you want to call it. Dangerous is another way to, to translate that. Um, so, Katie Hohn, before we let you go, do you see anything improving for the rest of the summer uh, in terms of lifeguarding, in terms of any restrictions, or do we got what we got and we got to work on it for next year? I I don't want to be too cynical, but I think maybe this is what it is. Right now, the, the latest number I had was 750 lifeguards, um, which is about half of what's known as like the moonshot number. Obviously, there have been summers with not, you know, with, with around that number, but this is some of the lowest we've had and we're getting kind of down to the very end last few days of lifeguards being able to get certified. So, I mean, I think hopefully continuing in the winter, hopefully the Adams administration really does take what's happening more seriously. Um, and even, yeah, the leadership of the people who run the lifeguard school, you know, again, I, 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 I've repeated this a few times, but the people who are suffering by these, these issues within the union are the union members themselves. And it's unfortunately, more often than not, the sort of least powerful members at the expense of, I guess, some of the most powerful. So that's something I think that people should reflect upon and and think about, you know, if it's endangering people's lives and, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And Katie Honan, uh, anything else that you're working on right now regarding this or anything else that we should be watching in your reporting? Uh, You know, I'm going to continue kind of seeing any changes, especially within the Parks Department and 
figuring things out for the rest of the summer when it comes to lifeguards. Um, hopefully there will be no more drownings this summer. You know, the one we had a few days ago was very upsetting, but hopefully uh, everyone stay safe. Don't go in the water without a lifeguard present. And, um, and yeah, and everyone just stay safe this summer. Words to live by, literally and figuratively. Katie Honan, if people want to find out more about you and your reporting, where can we send them? TheCity.NYC. Uh, lots more reporting, too, not just for me, but we appreciate all the readers. Absolutely. Well, Katie Honan, thank you so much for joining us here today on Driving Forces. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much, Liz. Have a great day. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York, 99.5 FM, and streaming via WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Jeff Simmons is off today, but he will be back with us very, very soon. Quick reminder, as we take on these important issues today... If you care about New York, if it means something to you to have a radio station that talks about real problems with the city and how to make it a better place, please take a moment today to go to WBAI.org and lend your support. This is non-commercial, listener-supported WBAI, and we need your help. This station does not exist without you. Plain and simple, WBAI will go off the air without the support of everyone who listens. Now, most of us are volunteers. I am a volunteer. Jeff Simmons is a volunteer. We do this for New York, but we can't keep going without help from New Yorkers. Big business does not power WBAI. You do. And we count on you every day. We are counting on you today. Please go to WBAI.org today, pledge your support, stand up for free speech and free speech radio. That is WBAI.org. If you become a BAI buddy today and make a recurring monthly donation in the name of this show, Driving Forces, if you make a pledge of $50 or more, actually, you can receive a free copy of an outstanding new book. It's called Carmageddon, How Cars Make Life Worse and What to Do About It. That's by Daniel Knowles. He is a reporter for The Economist. We had him here on the program. Jeff was able to engineer it so he would kindly donate, his publisher would kindly donate a number of copies of this book. It's a great story. You need to check it out. This is something I know that a lot of BAI listeners will really care about. And remember, you know, when you choose to contribute and receive a thank you gift from WBAI, you're not buying a book, you're not buying a tote bag, you're not buying a t-shirt. We have all those things, but you are supporting independent community media. The gift is really just the cherry on top of that. The meaning of the contribution is to help keep independent free speech community radio alive in the city. So you are the driving force behind driving forces. You have been the driving force behind this entire station for more than 60 years. Please go to WBAI.org today and become a BAI buddy. Don't let corporate media become New York's only choice for radio. Please go to WBAI.org and keep this station going. We thank you for your help. Um, and we are going to be having our next guest um, coming up in just a few moments. We are working to get him on the line. We were going to be very excited to have um, 
the executive director of DC 37, District Council 37, that is New York City's largest municipal employees union. Uh, our guest will be Henry Garrido. We are getting him on the line in just a moment. I know our engineer, uh, Reggie Johnson, is working assiduously on this, and uh, hopefully we're going to have that lined up very soon. As a matter of fact, we're going to have that lined up right now, but we are talking about the lifeguard shortage, the lifeguard crisis. Just a moment ago, we spoke to Katie Honan, reporter for the city, about this. And now we are going to be welcoming Henry Garrido. He is the executive director of District Council 37, which, again, is New York City's largest municipal municipal employee union. Uh, Now, Mr. Garrido was elected to a third term in January 2022. He has been working on uh, greater member participation. He started the D.C. 37 Union Strong Organizing Campaign. Previously, he was the union's associate director. He helped establish the Municipal Employees Housing Program, which coordinates grants for first-time homebuyers and provides foreclosure prevention services, financial education, and counseling. He also directed the union's white paper project that addressed government waste by investigating the privatization of city services, identifying additional revenue sources. He's an international vice president of the Association of Federal, State, County, and Municipal Employees, AFSCME, co-chair of the Municipal Labor Committee, trustee on the city's workforce investment board, serves on the New York City Employees Retirement System, NICERS. He is a native of the Dominican Republic and the the first Latino to head DC 37 since it was formed in 1944. Without further ado, Henry Garrido, welcome to Driving Forces here on WBAI. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. So uh, obviously we wanted to have you here today because we are talking about this crisis in New York and actually all around the country, the lifeguard shortage. DC 37 represents lifeguards and supervisors. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you see going on here? Why are we experiencing this dramatic, dramatic shortage? Uh, thank you for the opportunity. I, you know, about a week or so ago, I was driving towards Westchester County, and I saw these signs post- posted all over the roads uh, trying to recruit lifeguards. And I found that to be a little strange because I've, I've driven some of these roads on the way to Albany and other places, and I found it to be strange. But, but I shouldn't have been surprised because this is a national crisis. We have... Uh, a perfect storm of conditions. First, you have an issue of wages, which has really have compressed the workforce. Uh, lifeguards traditionally uh, are seasonal jobs in most cases in the in the East Coast, where you know people when the weather gets warm and summer comes in, they come in. A lot of uh, staffing was coming from colleges and high schools, from swimming teams that are, uh, you know throughout the year that are participating and are no longer there. And so we're recruiting a workforce that is seasonal, that comes back, leaves, and returns. So the idea of this a group of folks coming back has been a serious challenge. So not only recruitment, but retention. Uh, but so wages has been a, a, a huge issue with inflation uh, increasing in that a lot of those jobs that could go to those young people that I mentioned before would go to equivalent jobs that are paying more uh, in order to attract more people for the private sector in the labor market. So you had, you know, Whole Foods and, and Starbucks and other retails paying 18 to $20 an hour, and the 
entry-level job for lifeguards until we change it was 16. So it was very difficult to attract the same people on the retention with the amount of requirement uh, that we have uh, uh, for the lifeguard program. I think second to that, you have COVID, right? We had the situation at the beginning that people did not want to give the concept of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, that they had to adapt to a new reality. And until the COVID scale went up, people did not see that, you know, that uh, profession of lifeguards the way we saw it. you know, this Baywatch image of somebody very fit, very athletic, running down, saving folks, and this sort of club, it's, it's not something that it is uh, the, the way it is now, and uh, people don't perceive it the same way, I should say. And then lastly, you have the conditions, right, in which government had massive recruitment problems. Uh, we had, at one point, 25,000 vacancies in the city of New York, and that, that goes to the issue of regulations now. What are the regulatory things that we're demanding of the lifeguards programs that, you know, are really important, critical, and we believe on them? And what are the ones that should be going away uh, that we can make it easier for folks to get uh, certified in the system and still keep the, the public safely um, as we go to the beaches? So these are all a mountain of challenges. I call it a perfect storm of challenges to recruit and retain the best and the brightest on the lifeguard program. You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. Our topic today is New York's lifeguard crisis. And our guest right now is Henry Garrido. He is executive director of District Council 37, the municipal employees union that includes uh, the city's lifeguards. And I wanted to ask you, we a little bit earlier in the program spoke with Katie Honan. She's a reporter for the nonprofit newsroom, The City. And she was talking about a lot of the issues that have been ongoing. Uh, some of those might have preceded you, but between the city and the lifeguards union, uh, questions about people being qualified or not qualified or being given information about their testing times and so on. And there's been some other reporting, some other investigative reporting as well um, about the lifeguard school. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about some of those issues and is the union doing anything to uh, to address or resolve some of the concerns about the certification for lifeguards in the city? Sure. Um, this is obviously as the, the, the recruitment reduces and the number of lifeguards become less and less, I think there's an immediate reaction to look at qualification and say, well, maybe we don't need people to swim as fast as we require them to do right now. Maybe they can you know, they can, we can add 10 seconds to the test, or maybe we don't really need them to pass the CPS, the, 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 uh, the uh, life resuscitation training the way that it ought to be, or maybe we need to reduce the distance, like in the shores, that we need the lifeguards to be uh, in order to keep the people safe. I think that's a natural reaction. I also think that it is a problematic reaction. I think it you know, there's a reason why we kept, uh, uh, you know, no drownings for 10 straight years. And I think that we had the same recruitment and retention challenges 10 years ago than we're having it now. I think it's worse now. But I think the reason why we kept no drownings for 10 straight years, thank God, is that we have kept very high standard. And I use this analogy. I, I, I my, You know, you can be a very good swimmer, right? My son is a good swimmer. 
but that doesn't mean that you can rescue somebody else, right? It's a difficult situation, a difficult position once that requires not only your physical but your mental ability at the time. So there are some who suggest that we, maybe we don't need so stringent requirements of certified black box, and maybe we can begin to cut corners, and I think that's, that's one of the problems. So we've done everything that we can to try to recruit people. We've collectively reached an agreement with the city, working collectively with the city to raise wages. We've done that. We've added a signing and retention bonus in order to give people an additional $1,000 in addition to raising the wages to close to $20 an hour in order to recruit, retain people. We've done that. We have kept the pools at much later hours in order to be able to give and impart the test that is required to get more. I think one of the things that we saw this year, we did a much better job of recruitment, recruiting uh, lifeguards from that are younger that may be able to continue to the program year after year, but most of them are coming from high schools. And generally, the recruitment that we do in, in colleges, we start putting the people in by May, which is Memorial Day, Whereas high schools, you're still in high school if you're in May, right? You're still doing classes. So they don't start until June, uh, more importantly, after the 4th of July. So that's a, a strategic uh, a problem that we're going to have to deal with uh, when the returning lifeguards with our lifeblood to our program are going to be done. So we've done everything possible that we can. I think there are some things that we had to look in, in terms of the test. In the scheduling, there are very arcane rules that I think we need to remove collectively. That has to be negotiated and bargained with the city. We're doing that now. Uh, but it's hard to do it in the middle of the season, right? Those are things that you do in the winter in preparation to the following season, not in the middle when you have the lifeguard program. How? Because how do you train those folks differently when they already are in the pools and in the beaches doing their jobs? So that's, that's a big challenge. I would say one of the biggest challenges that we have is the suggestion that we should just take the American Red Cross certification uh, as a you know, permissible way of, of certifying folks. And if we let them certify elsewhere, I think you know, that, that perhaps that would increase the pool. There's been some who have suggested that you can take firefighters and allow them to become lifeguards. I think those are things that have been tried in the past and have failed for a variety of reasons, and I think that we want to make sure that we keep the beaches open and the pools open, but we want to make sure we keep the public safe. First and foremost, that we make sure we protect the people that are there, that we don't have anybody drowning. So those are suggestions that are going to be discussed during bargaining, but I think our priority as a union is to try to keep people safe, first and foremost. And this idea that somehow we're trying to keep the numbers down, it, I think it's it's not, not very productive in the discussion, but I would say that we're working so much better with the Parks Department to do uh, and to address the challenges and to do what we need to do to make sure that the beaches and the pool are staff for the season. And Executive Director, I did want to ask you about a story I saw fairly recently. It was about the formation of a group called the New York City Lifeguard Interorganizational Task Force. And this was something that was created back in March to sort of deal with the staffing issues, uh, increase swimming lessons to, um, you know, develop this pipeline of future lifeguards. People do not know how to swim, do not tend to become lifeguards, or at least hopefully. And the Education Department 
went to City Hall, parks. They were uh, part of this group, the YMCA, uh, Association for a Better New York. I believe at the time this was reported, which was it, uh, just a, a week or so ago, that DC 37 had been invited as the union that represents lifeguards to join this task force, but uh, had not responded to the to those invitations, or the locals certainly had not responded to those invitations. Um, has that changed? Or if it has not changed, why would DC 37 not want to be part of that effort? Well, I'm, I'm surprised because we have not, I personally have not been invited to participate. Let me, let me be that clearly on the record. This okay. group, which was created to come up with ideas, has invited everyone except for the one who holds the bargaining certificate, which is us. So that's the first, first thing. Second of all, the administration of the program has always been a function of the Parks Department. We are in bargaining with the Parks Department. They make recommendations in the table as to what to do. We, we don't set standards, right? The park department, in, you know, sets the standards pursuant to state law. We implement it. So if the parks department wanted to change that, I think that they could certainly have done that and we would have been, you know, you know, obligated, if nothing else, to implement those recommendations. As far as the, the pool and the training and the pipeline is concerned, here's a problem nobody wants to mention. There's a reality that in the middle of the winter, you are supposed to open those pools to train folks so that they can start in the season. In the winter, citizens that pay to utilize don't like to see their pools closed for training sessions, right? They pay year-round fees to, tr- to use the pools, and the parks department generally doesn't want to be the one to tell them don't do that for year-round pools. In order for you to certify lifeguards and you have to test them to, to swim, you have to close the pools early enough to allow for more people to be trained. That doesn't happen in May, in June, when the season is, you know, imminent. It happens in February. It happens in March. The unwillingness of uh, some of the folks in the administration to close pools, like the Chelsea training pools, or to close lanes to trust lifeguards, because they have learned to swim programs that are great, it's a real challenge, right? Because now you're waiting for the last minute to try to certify folks. Uh, we did not reach an agreement in salaries until late April, you know, to start certifying the programs. Now we have one that prospectively and hopefully it's carrying into next year. We don't know that the park department has made that decision. These are things that from our perspective could have gone far more than the creation of a task force. Because even if the Fox Task Force comes out with viable recommendations, if all the parties are not in line, if the collective bargaining agreement is not in line, if the pools where they do training set, uh, lessons are not in line, if the recreational program, which nobody has mentioned, we do recreational programs, that is not done through the two life arts programs. It's done through a recreational local. They do the learn to see programs. They have a schedule. They do it in the pools. Right, so this is not something that should be or ought to be, as a matter of from taking the Peter to pay pool. We have a number of pools that have been closed for repairs, much needed repairs, which means the number the number of lanes available to train the folks has gone down significantly. I was at St. Mary's pool last year where we went um, to try to denounce uh, the life bar shortages, trying to recruit people, only to find out two weeks later that pool was closed. And the pool, the pool that was uh, three blocks down or four blocks down had closed as well. 
So this is a big challenge for us because you don't train in May and June. You need to do that early on in February and March. And to do that, you need to have the lanes available. That means closing some lentrosine programs. That means closing some pools earlier. That means telling the public at large that use the, pool, the pools year-round. You won't be able to do it for four to six weeks because we're going to train folks. And they generally don't like that. They push back. They call the constituents. They call the representatives and say, why can't we get this together, right? Uh, this is part of the problem that is affecting all of this. That task force that you mentioned, I don't know how they would be able to influence that. I'd be curious to hear that. Um, we're open to any recommendations um, in terms of it. But, you know, what I find is that a lot of the stuff has been tried and done, and folks want to try it again. And those who are so affiliated with an institution, they want their institutions to be the preeminent institutions. We believe that we have to make sure that the public is safe first and that we need to set aside the politics and to get done, we certify more people so that they can serve as citizens of New York. So in the, in the few moments we have, <clears throat> we have remaining, and I do appreciate you taking the time. This is a very important topic, and I think that people need to hear about it. Uh, I know it's, it's kind of uh, unfair to ask you to look into a crystal ball, but based on what you have seen uh, in the past couple of years, and certainly this year, what do you think we're going to be looking at next year? We're already in progress in this summer, but next year, is this, is, are lifeguard shortages just something that we're going to have to start being resigned to live with? No, I refuse to believe that. I think that there's so much more that we can do. I think sort of what happened this year by us settling a collective bargaining agreement, the contract has been settled, it goes for five years, sets the wages and the increases for five years. For the returning lifeguards, which are, represent about 60% of the returning lifeguards, that they know what they're going to get paid, that they don't have to make a choice between working between the city and the state or the city or private institution. The fact that the wages have been set and the wages were, were approved by the membership of more than 88%, 98% of the membership, which means that it seems to be a consensus that they're good. I think that's important. But I also think that there's so much more things that we can do proactively. For instance, I've met recently with the chair of the, the head of the City University of New York. We used to connect uh, colleges, swimming programs, to the lifeguard recruitment program. College recruit, uh, swimming programs are year-round. They have pools. And if we could do more of that, if we can have colleges that are here, the city university colleges and state university colleges, with swimming programs to offer the lifeguard program as a viable place to work, I think that we can begin the process and not just wait for returning folks to come out year after year. I think it's, it's very critical. I think we have to have conversations with the chancellor of the city of New York about the ability to carve out swimming programs in the high school programs and be doing. I think we can be much more proactive. So this is a crisis now, but I believe that never waste a crisis, right? Have the opportunity to use that and use that to your leverage to be more uh, strategic about how you deal with the challenges uh, to provide services to the citizens. So I, I believe in that. So I'm much more optimistic that I've been in the years past about turning this crisis into a real solution and more services. Henry Garrido is Executive Director of District Council 37. Executive Director, thank you so much for joining us here on Driving Forces. We hope to have you back again to follow up on this. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
You're listening to WBAI New York, 99.5 FM and WBAI.org. This is Driving Forces. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. We're talking about the lifeguard shortage and summer water safety today, and the phone lines are now open. 212-209-2877 is the number to call. 212-209-2877. Has the lifeguard shortage affected your summer plans or your employment? Are you taking special precautions to protect yourself or your kids because there are fewer people on watch or on the water? Are you avoiding swimming entirely? You're going out of state to enjoy the pool or the beach. How could New York and the rest of the country fix this problem? 212-209-2877 is the number to call. That's 212-209-2877. We'll be back to hear from you in just a moment. Remember, this is a great time to go to WBAI.org and become a BAI buddy in the name of Driving Forces. That's WBAI.org. You can start calling in right now. You can also call in and tell us what you love about WBAI. We're always glad to get those calls. 212-209-2877. We'll be right back. Night Swimming. You're listening to Driving Forces on WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. I'm flying solo today, missing my dear co-host, Jeff Simmons. Remember, WBAI can only bring you guests from the world of politics, public policy, culture, music, the arts, and more with your help. Go ahead. Take a moment today. Support this station. Go to WBAI.org. Make a pledge to the BAI Buddies Program. That's WBAI.org. Only got a few minutes left here. We are talking about summer safety, water safety, New York's lifeguard shortage. We're going to go right to the phones. We're going to keep it brief. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you're calling from? Good afternoon, Celeste. That's me. Thank you for being there. I, I wish I, I hope that uh, uh, the gentleman from uh, uh, <clears throat> 37 is still listening. Um, he makes excellent points. This is Pastor Michael Vincent Crea. Uh, one of the concerns I have with the Parks and Recreation is that during Bloomberg and during de Blasio, uh, for instance, where I used to swim uh, three or four times a week at what was named after uh, an African-American Parks and Recreation Commissioner or worker, the Haynesborough Center, used to be called the Bathhouse in Harlem, has been left undone, has been left unrepaired for over seven or eight years. And the problem with that is not only does it affect the community at large and others uh, 
who who visit and use it, but are young people of color who are not represented in an equitable fashion. That's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, I graduated from Cornell, and Cornell, there's people that went through four years to get their degree, only not to get their degree because Cornell requires a swimming test uh, of every single uh, matriculated uh, freshman. That is absolutely true, and my my husband is actually a Cornell graduate, and just the other day he was mentioning to me that you had to pass this swimming test if you wanted to get your diploma from Cornell. I just, I, I say this, too, as a former case manager for the mentally challenged at Trinity Church, who got someone back to China in 15 days, reunited with his family when Bloomberg's claim to fame was getting a falcon back to its Fifth Avenue nest in 15 days. Were I in charge of, right now, appropriations, and um, we won't get into the current mayor at this point. I will be coming out soon on, on certain items. But I would give every single client, like I get, a uh, unlimited monthly. I, I pay unlimited monthly for my Metro card, so it gets mm-hmm. me out of the house for the clients. It will not only get them to their appointments, which usually you hear that's the reason they don't get there. They'd have no way to get there. But Mm -hmm. I would also give them all, especially people living with disabilities and with depression and whatnot, a a membership and and pay something like uh, the seniors, $25 for the year, because the physical activities lightens the load of the psychic challenges that anyone is facing. So we we all have to work to get there. We're all together, but people are fighting in a social sibling rivalry. We need to be working like we did to get rid of apartheid and Nelson Mandela free. We had communists working with evangelicals to get there, set government goals and not break down ourselves as we the people. Thank you. Thank you so much for your call. Lots of lots of things to uh, to go over there. Really appreciate it. I wish we had more time, but we will have to do it next time. I want to thank our guests today, Katie Honan of the city and executive director, Henry Garrido, executive director of District Council 37. Thanks to our engineer, Reggie Johnson. Thanks to you, our listeners and callers. And the biggest thanks of all, always, to everybody who is going right now to WBAI.org to become a BAI buddy in the name of this show. Keep it tuned to WBAI. AI Sunday morning at 8 a.m. for the triumphant return of our very own Jeff Simmons. He'll be joined by former city council member and current freelancers union executive director Rafael Espinal. The City Watch with Jeff Simmons Sunday at 8 a.m. here on 99.5 FM and always streaming at WBAI.org. If you missed any part of the program, you can hear it in full by subscribing to Driving Forces via Apple, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please give us a good rating. Thanks again for going to WBAI.org to support this station. You your help matters. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. This has been Driving Forces. Now stay tuned to WBAI for more great programming. See you on the radio.